Welcome to That'll Preach, a weekly podcast uh, where we talk about theology and philosophy and history and culture and all the wonderful things that uh, this world has to offer. We really talk about everything, don't we, Paul? I'm Brian. This is Paul. Everything. Wait, let me introduce you. Don't go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Yep. <clears throat> I'm Brian. I'm Brian. And I'm joined by my second in command, Paul. Paul, introduce yourself. Why am I your second in command? I thought we were co-equals. I thought we were partners <laughs> wait, in wait, crime. You think we're the, you think we're the Trinity? <laughs> co-eternal, co-equal? That was such a nerdy joke. Paul, what were you going to say nerdy. when I cut you off? What were you about to say before I cut you off so rudely? I was going to say that we don't talk about everything. We talk about like very few things. And it uh, is misleading to tell people that we talk about lots of things. Paul, all of podcasting is being misleading. Haven't you heard that? I mean, I think our podcast, someone was telling me the, the other day that they love our new tagline, historically informed, slightly irreverent. I know. <laughs> We're like the bad boys of theology. It captures so, us so well. I know. I know. Leather jackets that we wear, or sleeve tattoos, slightly what irreverent. Happened? You, you were wearing like we, have a, we, we have leather jackets, sleeve tattoos, a sleeve of tattoos, and <laughs> Anglican, Anglican collars. How about that? Have you seen the picture of, um, well, I was going to say, have you seen the picture of Peter Jackson walking with Gandalf and Saruman and the caption of the photos, just uh, Baptist Baptist, walking with their Anglican, uh, colleagues. Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah. 0.0012% of the population find that hilarious, but for that, for that population, (laughs) it's hysterical. That is our Um, intended audience. That's who we cater to. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we also cater to C.S. Lewis fans because we are going through a book by C.S. Lewis called Miracles. And uh, we're looking at some of his arguments against what's called naturalism. Right. The idea that all there is is the physical universe. And uh, we're going to get into some spicy territory here because, Paul, you think that in these chapters we're looking at today, chapters three and four, where he talks about the difficulties of naturalism, the idea that, you know, this. The physical world is all there is. Lewis tries to refute it, and you don't seem too convinced. You don't seem too convinced. I know. Um, as, as much as it pains me to say it, I love Lewis, but I, I think I said this in a podcast before. I think Miracles is one of Lewis's weakest works. It, it's like well, an apologetics work that tries to do too much rigorous technical philosophy and comes up, uh, let's just say it comes up short in, in a few ways. Okay, well, what? how would you summarize his argument or the point he's trying to make in chapter three? And then well, why so, do you think it's not a good job? Yeah. In chapter three specifically, he's trying to show that if naturalism is true, then our brains, your brain, my brain, uh, are just physical. And so our thoughts are the result of physical processes, cause and effect atoms colliding. Uh, they're just, everything can be accounted for on a naturalistic picture on, via, uh, via naturalistic accounts and processes. So your thoughts, your reasoning, your argumentation. Um, and Lewis basically wants to say, if that's true, then we don't have knowledge. We shouldn't trust our reasoning. Rationality is not, is not a thing. And, uh, He's trying to, to give an argument for why there has to be something outside of nature 
if human reasoning is to be trusted and if human reasoning and rationality are, um, are giving us true information about reality. And so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, the crux of the argument, we can unpack it more and go through some of the particulars, but it's essentially an argument from, Hey, look, humans have knowledge. Our brains can form true beliefs about the world. We can trust our reasoning processes. Um, and so reason has to be something that's not subject to or completely explainable by naturalistic explanations. And if, if it's just naturalistic explanations, if it's just cause and effect, atoms colliding, then why should we trust anything that our brains tell us? Well, he has a quote in chapter three where he says, materialism, which is another kind of way of speaking of naturalism, if all there is to the world is physical stuff, uh, then it's self-refuting, right? Because uh, if your mental processes, and this is a quote, if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, right? So my thoughts are just atoms in my brain crashing against each other. I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. And hence, I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. So if all your brain, if all your thoughts are just atoms crashing in your head, and the very fact that you know that they're atoms can't be trusted because the thought that you have atoms in your head is itself just a product of random atoms smashing. So in other words, if all that we have is a physical world, we can't trust that our brains can give us true knowledge. Mm -hmm. We can't even know that our brains know anything. And so ultimately materialism erases any chance of there being true knowledge of the world. Right now. Um, what do you find wrong with that? Why do you think C.S. Lewis got this wrong? Uh, so a couple, a couple things to point out. Historically, uh, this was an essay that he, he revised it. So the, the version that you and I are reading, the second edition, is a, is a later version that is a revised version of the earlier 1947 version, which had a much weaker version of this. So what, what we're reading is actually the beefed up version that he corrected and improved um, based on some criticisms from the Catholic philosopher, Elizabeth Anscum in Oxford in 1948. What we're reading is Lewis taking into account some problems that were raised for his view by another philosopher um, who's a Christian, she's a Catholic, she's a very famous Christian philosopher who agrees with Lewis that naturalism is not true, it's not tenable, but she didn't think that that argument was particularly compelling. Um, and essentially, the reason is Lewis hasn't given us an actual argument for why, why can't we trust our reasoning if these are just natural processes? Like, that's an assumption. It, it's a claim that might be true or might not be, but there's no real argument given there. And indeed, you could say the same thing for, like we mentioned in a previous podcast, Lewis thinks there's no free will if it's all cause and effect, if it's all natural. Um, that, uh, you know, as, as, as Calvinists, as people in the Reformed tradition, the classical theistic tradition, um, we don't accept that free will has to be this supernatural, uh, like breaking the laws of nature kind of power. And so I think, I think Lewis here has a kind of simplistic view of both free will and human reasoning that he thinks would be incompatible with naturalistic explanations of them. Um, and so Lewis thinks if you can explain human action via cause and effect, then there's no free will. If you can explain human reasoning 
via cause and effect uh, and show how neuroscience works and how neuroscience bottoms out into the movement of atoms and its physics all the way down, then somehow, if that explanation is exhausted, uh, is exhaustive, then you've done something to undermine human reason. And I, I just don't think that that picture is true. I don't think Root, uh, Lewis has given us reason to accept that. I think that we can have a sort of naturalistic understanding and uh, a supernatural explanation that is non-competing with that, right? Um, so I, I think Lewis's picture is is a little bit wooden, loose, and not very precise. So you use the example of free will. So in Lewis's mind, it's either we have quote unquote libertarian free will, right. the ability to choose otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, we're robots. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're saying, no, actually, there's a Christian tradition, the reformed Christian tradition that says, actually, you can have one without being a robot. You can have humans don't need that libertarian free will and they can still be free. Uh, and God can still be sovereign. Right. And you're saying Lewis is, again, he's assuming that the only option is what he said. And you're saying, no, there's a there's a way in which we can have real knowledge of the world. Uh, and not need a supernatural presence for that to be true. Yeah, I, I don't think you need a supernatural explanation. So if there was for no God, human rationality. So if there's no God, we could still trust our rational functions. I think so. Um, I think, or maybe I'll put the more conservative conclusion: Lewis hasn't shown us that we need God, right? So if we're just looking at the strength of the argument in chapter three, uh, Lewis is sort of giving this view where he just says like, yeah, if, um, if God doesn't exist and we can't trust our, our reason, but that's, it's a, it's a claim, you know, it, it might be true or not, but Lewis hasn't developed the argument there. And that's, that's sort of the big criticism that's always levied against him that, all right, Lewis, what's, what's the argument there? Like why, if we can explain it via completely naturalistic processes, why does that undermine the rationality? And he hasn't really filled in those gaps for us. He's sort of just been like, oh, you know, like, it doesn't sound like it's rational. It's just atoms. Well, like, yeah, but like, you know, everything that we do at some level is, is atoms and you can give an atomic explanation of what we do. So that on its own doesn't seem to be like a, a, a devastating objection to rationality or to free will or to anything like that. Well, what about when he talks about how, you know, he says, my belief that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to another. It's not ba- at all based on the fact that I've never caught them behaving otherwise. I see that it must be so. Uh, and so he seems to see that there are self-evident truths, right? But he, uh, you see these, these sort of tautologies seem to be things that we recognize to be true based on a rationality. Is that right? Uh, but he says that that wouldn't be true without God, that you could not make those assumptions without God. But Why? Like there, there, there's a, there's a leap there to that conclusion, but, and again, he's just not filling in the details. So, uh, so let's think think about that though. Like if everything is just physical matter, then our thoughts are just the interaction of atoms, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So how do we know that those interactions of atoms teach us true things about the world? Like, how do we know? I mean, there could be a complex story there. My point is just that Lewis hasn't given us an argument, right? Like there, there's there's a massive explanational or explanatory gap between just so saying. So could you hey, say like that? 
It's at least pointing out a weakness in naturalism. That it hasn't fully explained uh, human thought. I mean, that's, that's certainly fair um, that it hasn't, but Lewis doesn't necessarily prove Christianity. It doesn't prove that it has to be supernatural, right? So at, at the start of the chapter, Lewis says naturalism in principle cannot explain human reason. And that means that like, no matter how expansive science gets, no matter how much territory is covered, um, if naturalism is true, if all that exists are, you know, natural entities, then we can't, we shouldn't trust our brains. We shouldn't trust our faculties that. And you're saying, no, we could still trust them. There could be a reason why we trust them, even if we don't know it. Is that right? Yes. Right. Yeah. All I'm saying so is I'm, Lewis is trying to claim too much. Is I what think you're so. saying. You're yeah, saying he yeah. could have a point. He could have a point that hey, naturalism doesn't have it all figured out, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, but it's too far to say Christianity is the only way to figure it out. That naturalism right. can't possibly figure it out. And you're saying, well, I don't know if you can make a claim that far. Right. I think that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So, what are some other points that showed up that you you had problems with? Um, I mean, the whole idea that your rationality has to be, that rationality is something sort of like immaterial. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what Lewis is trying to say there. Uh, What does it mean for reason to be immaterial, non-material? It's sort of vague and like hand wavy. And Lewis doesn't really explain a lot of what he means by that. Um, and this is why, just as another historical aside, some biographers of Lewis, including one of his close friends, George Sayers, uh, said that after Lewis published this initial article in 1947, um, and it received the criticism from Anscombe and some other people, that he sort of stopped doing apologetics and then started writing the Narnia books. And um, I think I think this chapter might have been sort of a turning point in Lewis's uh, writing career where he was doing philosophy and realized that maybe he wasn't doing it as precisely and carefully. And so he turned his attention more towards literature and things like that. Now, I don't know how, how far to take that historical explanation, but I think that other people have realized that there are some gaps in Lewis's argumentation in this chapter. And there might be some interesting stuff and he's pointing out some interesting things about the nature of nature. But when it comes to like, okay, supernaturalism has to be the only explanation for this. I don't think Lewis has, has delivered on that uh, in, in, in this argument. So that's a, that's an interesting point you're bringing up because uh, Lewis very much is, I mean, he's called the, the patron saint of evangelicalism, you know, <laughs> right. even though he's really not an evangelical in, in, the right. mo- in really in the modern sense of the term. I mean, mm-hmm. Lewis would not be what we would call today an inerrantist in terms of scripture. Lewis uh, was not, he was very liturgical. It seems like right. his mm-hmm. kind of yep. high churchy <clears throat> and, and, uh, I, I don't know that he would identify as a North American evangelical if he were in the States. Yeah. But regardless, he does seem to be a kind of guy that everybody kind of looks at as the gotcha guy. Like he's the guy that gives a slam dunk arguments for Christianity. He's the one that everybody looks to as the great defender of the faith. And for good reason, I think he's mm-hmm. written some incredibly persuasive and compelling articles and books and, 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 and uh, essays and things like, like that. But it is important to be like, you know what? I mean, he's not a trained philosopher. 
right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we all know that there's nothing a philosopher hates more than an untrained philosopher, <laughs> am I right? Um, That's right. So how do we how, how do we process this with Lewis? I mean, is he's just being un he's just being um, sloppy maybe with his terminology, or he's not he's trying to prove too much? He's biting off more than he can chew. I mean, what do you think about the fact that he basically changed his approach and said, I, "I don't know if I want to do apologetics anymore." Yeah. So I mean, just I'm not sure that he actually stopped doing like he did write sure, some apologetics sure. essays after, but. Um, yeah, I think the fact that he rewrote the chapter and took into account some of the criticisms that people made of him, and it was better than the original. There's a lot of humility still, in that. Sure, There's a absolutely. lot of humility in that yeah, to yeah. republish it and to say, yeah. like, you know, she had some good points. Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth Anscombe even uh, wrote him, she either wrote him a letter or she she said it in public. She was like, Lewis is very intellectually honest. And the fact that he changed and rewrote the chapter shows that he cares about the truth and and the criticisms that were raised. So so I think Lewis genuinely saw some problems with this argument. And it's come to be known as the argument from reason. Basically, it's an argument that tries to show that because humans have reason and the ability to, to reason and to have rationality, that therefore that shows either supernaturalism is true or God exists or naturalism is false. And there's a variety of these kinds of arguments. And Lewis Lewis is giving his own version of that. Um, I just I think it's it's all those things that you said. I think Lewis is being a little bit sloppy. Maybe he's not super familiar with the terms. And there was a debate about what terms are supposed to be used, valid versus veridical, and all all these sorts of things. But I think the, I think the big takeaway here is when we look at Lewis's conception of God and nature. I think he's pitting God against nature too much. And this is something that I think we talked about before with, we don't have to see God as in competition with creation, where like, if we have a natural explanation for something that therefore we've ruled out God, Um, just take the case of a, a baby being knit together in the mother's womb we can explain that process totally in terms of naturalistic processes. But we can also say with scripture that God knits babies together in the womb, right? Like, like those are not two competing explanations. Those are just two different kinds of explanations for the same phenomenon. And I think what Lewis is doing is he's saying, if nature does it, then that means God is not in the picture. And so we have to invoke like a interventionist picture of God to explain rationality or free will rather than saying, well, no, God works through these naturalistic processes in a way that's over above beneath and all encompassing them, but not in the, like God intervenes and pokes his finger in nature, but rather, like we said in the last episode, God is upholding the whole system. Like everything is God's causation. And I think that kind of picture is, is a more robust view. And I think more faithful picture of God. Is the argument from reason something that Lewis created, or was that an argument that he was like, did Lewis get this from someone else? You know, that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. I imagine, I mean, he does quote someone else who he calls Professor Professor Callahan Harding or Professor or, yeah, or, yeah. Uh, Hald, Haldane. Yeah. yeah Haldane, um so yeah. so there are other people who have written on this, and Lewis is sort of writing off their ideas. Um, and then other people have written about it since then. Victor Repper is another Christian philosopher who wrote a book on Lewis's argument from reason. And there are some people who think that this is uh, plausible. Alvin Plantinga has a version of it as well, which is a little bit more sophisticated and, you know, 
involves evolution and things like that. But yeah, the general idea is that if humans are rational, then that can't be explained totally naturalistically. And so we have to posit some sort of divine or supernatural explanation. But but you would say that it it can be explained. Rationality can be explained by purely natural. Rationality can be explained without appealing to the supernatural. Uh. Perhaps and and perhaps, I think, or you're at least yeah, saying perhaps. that you Lewis hasn't no, shown us that you haven't it, shown it, it that it's impossible, right. right? So I guess you could imagine. You can tell me if this is a bad analogy. Let's say before we knew how babies were, you know, actually put together in the womb, you just mm-hmm. saw the birth. You might think, well, um, on just naturalism, are you going to say that it's just baby just appears? God right. clearly is the answer to this. Right. But then you yeah. find out. Well, we just didn't know that this is actually what happens. Yeah. And now maybe there could be an experiment that shows that atoms smashing in your head can produce true knowledge or something. <laughs> and we just don't know. And you're just saying that Lewis hasn't conclusively shown that the only alternative to materialism that would right. provide for rationality is Christianity. There yeah, could be I another just, possibility. We just don't know it yet. That, but that's do exactly you still right. think it has value what Lewis is saying to at least challenge I mean, it, it might a naturalistic and, worldview. Sure, and and there might be like, hey, look, here's here's something interesting that rationality seems unique. It seems strange. It seems bizarre. Uh, you know, what is human reason? Does does that require something else? Like, what is consciousness? These are all questions that you know scientists and philosophers are still thinking about, and trying to answer. And can you explain consciousness purely on a material, physical level? Um, these are live debates. And I think, I just think it's premature for Lewis to say, okay, well, there can be no natural physical material explanation. It has to be supernatural but and sort of make that leap. It, on the flip side, though, you you seem to give more, that that you seem to be saying that even if they discovered a way to give an account for consciousness or rationality apart from naturalism or, or apart from God, mm-hmm. you would say, that's okay. We can just go, yeah, great. That doesn't right. mean that God doesn't exist. It just means right. that two explanations can be there for the same thing. Right. One on a yeah. naturalistic level, one on a metaphysical level. level. Is, yeah. that, is that right? I, yeah. I think I think the worry of like, and this is sometimes called like God of the gaps reasoning. Like if, if there is a gap in our understanding and we just say, well, God is the explanation there. And then science or progress begins to fill in some of these gaps about like how babies are formed or how natural processes develop and explain things in the world. Um, does that mean that we lose out on God? We say like, oh, well, all these things that we thought God did, actually nature does them. And so as nature, as, as our knowledge of nature grows, our need for God gets less and less. And I think, I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. That's that competitive uh, pitting God against nature sort of view. And I think the Christian tradition has always maintained that God is not competitive with creation or God's action is not always like, God sticking his finger into creation and always meddling around, but all of creation is, you know, God's the author and creation is the story in the same way that Tolkien, everything in middle earth is Tolkien's doing in in a really strong sense. Um, We can have that really robust picture of God and his, his upholding. I know. What a nerd. (laughs) You love it. You love it. We, uh, I think we, we talk about Tolkien like every single podcast. I know, right? Because we use that great. author, <laughs> author <know>. character <laughs> illustration all the time. For everything. Well, what do you think are 
problems with naturalism as a philosopher, as a Christian philosopher? What, what, how would you sharpen Lewis's argument? I mean, I, <laughs> I believe you just wouldn't that use it. <laughs> <laughs> I would throw I, I, it away. I think, <laughs> yeah, this is where I come out as an atheist. <laughs> as a naturalist. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I'm a naturalist. <laughs> I think, I think this is, it goes back to Lewis's first, that quote from Aristotle that he gave, we have to ask the preliminary questions. And so my worldview is that of the, the Christian worldview, the Christian faith. And I believe that resurrections take place. I believe that God literally entered into the world and lived as one of us. And so those are all non-natural in, in this sure. sense. Um, now, like, how can I convince someone of those things? I think that's, that's really difficult, like we talked about last time, because if you're coming from a different worldview and you don't think that miracles are possible, or you don't think God acts in the world, then you'll interpret the evidence in a different way. And you'll say, well, you know, there's, there's some alternate explanation that we can give for that. Um, so I, I think that the case for miracles is like holistic and comprehensive. And it includes talking about miracles in the context of the Judeo-Christian story and God's uh, story of redemption and Israel and Christ and all that stuff. And I think just sort of like trying to one-off uh, to a skeptic or an atheist, here's why you should accept that miracles happen or that naturalism is false is a really difficult project. I'm not saying it's impossible, just that it's it's really difficult to do because again, it, you interpret evidence with your background assumptions. Um, and we all do that. And so you it's come about getting with a background, somebody to try to, yeah. So you go, I'm a Christian. So my background assumption is that there's a supernatural world because I believe in God. I believe in the resurrection. And so I just don't need that. I don't need that proven to me. I assume that. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's part of a whole picture. Like I accept the whole right. package and part of that whole and package you're saying is miracles. A naturalist goes in, there's no miracles. I don't need that proven to me. I just assume that, that there's no right. supernatural world. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that they came to based upon reasoning. Is that right? Or I mean, it, it's reasoning. Or they assume but it's not... it and they have good reasons why that assumption is correct. I mean, they might have some reasons, yeah, but but the way that we pick our worldview is like partly experiential, partly on the basis of reason, partly on the basis of environment, and okay. all, all these sorts of things go into like making that. And I'm just I'm thinking of the example of Jesus in the gospel saying, um, I mean, pe people saw his miracles and didn't believe him. Um, and this happened so all the time. So, so, so you would say just, just that evidence is not enough to bring someone okay. to a kind of faith, right? right? It depends on, you can always explain it away. It's the work of Satan. It's the work of science. It's the quantum, it's quantum indeterminacy, like whatever you want, you could always sort of give an explanation that will appease your conscience, but yeah. So that somebody will not just be convinced by evidence. So someone could always have a reason why your slam dunk reason that Christianity is true is wrong because it's not merely an intellectual endeavor. Right. Right. Yes. That they're actually. Yeah. <clears throat> so would you say this then that, that people don't come to their positions purely based on reasoning and rationality? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel and like that, here, here I'm, that's I'm, okay. I'm embracing my you reformed see, roots. <laughs> sure. So you yeah. would say to Lewis, if you were sitting out with Lewis, you'd be like, Hey, um, I think you're overstating your case here. And I also think that, you seem to be trying to argue somebody out of assuming naturalism. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's going to work because every piece of evidence you give to the naturalists, they could refute in some way. 
that you can't yeah. argue them. And not, not even just that you can't argue them because that's not effective because people have emotions, but more the sense that there is no slam dunk rational argument that you actually have to see the world in a different way. And I, but now, so would you say that it's uh, that we, we assume the supernatural world, not based on rationality, but simply by faith? Is that I mean, kind of, I, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I don't think it's, it's right. I don't think faith is irrational. Um, faith Maybe is what, that you can't have a slam dunk. You don't have a slam dunk ev- evidence that the supernatural world exists, but right. you can still believe you, you, but you don't need slam dunk evidence. Or, or maybe I'll say this. You don't believe in Jesus Christ and God because there's slam dunk evidence, right? You believe because God changed your heart and there are good reasons that support that. Yeah. But it's and, not as though you sat down and collected all the information and then made this rock solid conclusion. Yeah. It, and and arguing someone out of a worldview is very difficult because they can always explain away the evidence using their own assumptions. And so here, here's a very clear example. Um, if you have a discussion with a Holocaust denier, no matter what evidence you give them, they will say, well, that was doctored or, well, your source is whatever. Right. Or, well, of, right. of course, of course that, right. Or you so, can talk to so a Mormon world, or. Right. Exactly. It was their, witness, yeah. Their whole set of assumptions is you can explain away all those pieces of evidence. Right. And it might be that the explanations are not great. And hopefully someone begins to see like, you know, I'm doing a lot of explaining away and maybe there is some even inconsistencies in my yeah. own worldview and that that is useful. And I think sometimes trying to point out some inconsistencies in a worldview that could be useful. But again, I, I don't think it's ever this like knockdown argument, this clear devastating objection. So how do you not like fall Lewis into like, it is. how do you not fall into like relativism where we can't know the truth because nobody can you can always explain everything away in terms of your own worldview. So every Christian can refute every atheist argument. And every atheist can refute every Christian argument. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's just say. So so how do we not fall into a vacuum of like if there's no neutral ground, there's no common ground, how do we even have dialogue? I mean, it, that's not to say there is no common ground and it's not relativistic. It's just saying that getting people to see the truth of another worldview takes a lot more than just a single knockdown piece of evidence or a single knockdown argument. Um, It's like conversion, like getting someone to stop being a Holocaust denier is not just a matter of evidence. It's like, it's like a wholesale lifestyle change. Like they're going to have to change the lens through which they see the world, through which they see history, through which they see the value of people, through which they see like expertise and, and communities of experts. And like, there's a lot that goes into that. It's very similar to like a religious conversion. Um, it's never just like someone goes, like, oh yeah, like I, um, I read this one argument and I became a Christian. Although, I mean, there are cases where people say that happens to them. I'm, you know, I'm, I won't, I won't say that God never works that way, but it seems to be like th- those are the anomalies and those are not typical. Like think about your own conversion, right? It wasn't like a one-off thing. Like it was a process of lots of different factors that went into it. And I mean, I don't know, like, was there was no knockdown moment for you, right? Right. And a lot of times, like C.S. Lewis was most impactful for me and for other people, Christians, after they they were converted. It was almost like Lewis is great at confirming and strengthening your faith. But there's even a copy of Mere Christianity, I think, where Anne Rand, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, Rand, she... uh, (laughs) 
she wrote Atlas Shrugged, famous. Was she a philosopher or just like a? Philosophers don't like the, when people call her philosopher, but you know, okay. you could call okay. her whatever you want. <laughs> but she was a n- notorious skeptic and she ripped mere Christianity to shreds. She wrote all these things in the margins. I think it was mere Christianity and just said like, this is irrational drivel and all this stuff. And um, so, you know, there's a skeptic. I mean, I think, you know, it may seem slam dunk to us, but that's also because we, we share the same assumptions as C.S. Lewis and it may not be as effective uh, to somebody who's an outsider. Like my criticism is just what Anscombe said. Lewis hasn't shown us that you can't have rationality on naturalism, right? He's made these claims about, well, it's just atoms, it's just whatever. But yeah, like so, so is like a baby in the womb. Like uh, it's just a clump of cells. But yeah, that, that that's a human being. And like when you talk about free will, yeah, it's like there are neurons firing. There's all these naturalistic processes and explanations we can give, but that doesn't undermine free will. And so I think Lewis here is just, he's jumping to that conclusion without connecting the dots. And a lot of people have noticed that and, and pressed him on it. So do you think that she has a good argument? Did, has, she, has she brought up anything as a Catholic philosopher uh, regarding <laughs> this, naturalism? Hmm. I'm just curious. I, I don't know anything about her. Yeah, I, I don't think she's got... Um, I mean, she was mainly an ethicist and she did a lot of work on um, abortion, sexual ethics. Like she, she would... Uh, stand outside of abortion clinics and like bar the doors until she'd get arrested and like Dang. go to jail and come back and do it again. She had like six kids. Yeah. She, and she was like one of the most brilliant philosophers of the 20th century. She was a professor at Oxford. Um, really? Yeah. And, and this exchange with Lewis was at the start of her, her career. She was like a young upstart. No one knew who she was. And she Lewis was president Lewis, huh? of the Socratic society. Yep. He gave the paper, she gave a response and Lewis, uh, Lewis, you know, was, well, I mean, me, he wasn't like destroyed, but he was like, yeah, like those are really good objections. And he, he revised his paper in accordance. Yep. Let me ask you this uh, controversial question. Is, oh, uh, is Lewis overrated? No, I, I don't think so. I think Lewis is the greatest Christian writer of the 20th century. And I think when it comes to apologetics and making Christianity accessible, no one does it better than Lewis. I just think like this particular work of apologetics Lewis might have taken on more than he can chew. And I feel really bad saying that because I love Lewis, but I, I think this argument just doesn't work. And I'm not the only one who's pointed that out. So, okay, it's settled then. This episode will be called Why C.S. Lewis Was Wrong. <laughs> yeah, this will be great. That's Good not even clickbait because it's right. Good. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Going after a dead man. He can't defend himself. I mean, I, well, think, I think there's a lot of, in, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the chapter. And I think Lewis could have hedged his arguments a little bit more and, and framed it more like a, Hey, here's something interesting here. Like how can we explain rationality in this naturalistic picture? You know, we should talk about this more like this is an area ripe for inquiry and discussion, but uh, to try to frame it as a knockdown argument, I think was, was too quick and premature. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think this is helpful too, to be like, look, uh, naturalism isn't an easy foe and right. it's not yeah. as simple as just these gotcha things. We, we, in other words, we can't, um, argue in memes, you know, like we can't just be like, <laughs> Oh, see, here's a quippy line. And it's like, well, no, if you really want to get down to the brass tacks of this, uh, it's it, there, there are some good arguments and, uh, Christianity is not without its good arguments itself, but also remembering that 
people believe things. I would say uh, the majority of the factors aren't even rational. So yeah. we don't need to worry that, okay, Christianity, you know, is, is it okay that I, I didn't, you know, read 5,000 books on both sides and determine, you know, what to believe? Well, it's like, well, no, I don't think that's how belief works. Right. And so that there's actually a way in which we can say, you know, Lewis, I think you tried to prove too much, but it doesn't mean that you didn't say anything helpful. And it doesn't mean that Christianity is irrational either, mm -hmm. just because you weren't right. able to fully prove this. And uh, what well, he's going to get in the next few chapters into some more problems with naturalism. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to dive into that and see what else he got wrong. Um, this is what, this is just going to be the new series. What, what Lewis got wrong. See us oh, wrong. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty good. Still <clears throat> great book to read. Encourage everyone listening. Make sure you get a copy of this. You know, you don't have to even read the whole thing. You can just kind of skim through and read certain selections. It's very quotable. And yeah, I mean, Lewis, nobody's perfect, but what Lewis got right, he got really right. And, uh, and he's always profitable, but it's also important to be critical and to think about Lewis and, and, and say, you know, maybe that was overstating it, or maybe it could have been said this way, or maybe this is even just a helpful, it's not a helpful argument to have in that manner at all. So all these things are helpful. And, and, and it, there's been a great tradition of Christian thinkers beyond Lewis, who I think have made up for some of his weaknesses. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Well said, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. We'll be back again next week. Make sure you like this, subscribe, and uh, share this with your friends. And we go, we'll see you guys next week. 